Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. As followers of Jesus, we have the privilege to live on purpose. To live on purpose. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, has kind of been our roadmap over these past couple of weeks as we've been diving into this series talking about living on purpose. And it says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law to those not having the law become like one not having the law though I am not free from God's law but under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law to the weak I become weak to win the weak and I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some Can we just read that last sentence together in your really good church voice, okay? I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. We got different versions going on? I'm going to read with you. It's going to be better. Let's do it one more time. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our first step to learning how to live on purpose is coming to a face-to-face reality that we were made on purpose, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, and that when God made you, he handcrafted a purpose for you, for you to fulfill, and that purpose was to expand his kingdom and his glory through and in your life, everywhere that you go. We are a light on a hill. Jesus calls us that we're the light of the world. And we'll never come to a reality that we're supposed to shine where we are unless we believe that God created us to be where we are. The first key to living on purpose is realizing that we were made on purpose. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that we need to look across the room. And that as we look across the room, we need to see the person and not just what the person is doing. And that when we see the person and not just what they're doing, they're not just a waiter. They're not just my accountant. They're not just my employee. They're not just my coworker. They're a person that's been made on purpose for a purpose that it evokes compassion in us. And when we lead with compassion, it often turns into an opportunity for transformation. That when we live on purpose, looking with eyes of compassion, it leads to people experiencing the very same transformation that we ourselves have experienced as they come to a realization that they themselves were made on purpose for a purpose. And we looked at the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son. 
And the prodigal son, right, he got all this money from his dad, and he went and lived a wild life. He lived a life that you're not proud of, that you're not supposed to do. He did everything that you are not supposed to get celebrated for. He comes to the end of his resources and the end of himself, and literally it says that he came to himself as he's feeding pigs, and he's been told by the guy he's working for, look, dude, it's hard times. You can't even eat what we're feeding the pigs. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to eat, and he sees this, and goes, man, even the people that work for my dad get treated better than this. I'm going to go back home, but I'm not going to try to be a son. I'm just going to try to be a hired hand. I'm just, I'm not going to try to be a son. I'm going to try to just work for my dad. And it says this in Luke 15, that the father saw him coming down the road and he was filled with compassion. And he throws this amazing party. And he's like, we're having steak, not salad. He's like, kill the fatted calf, cook it up good, we're going to grill it. But then we see this juxtaposition because the older son responds completely different than the father in the story. The older son says, I'm not even coming in the house. Look what he's done. Look where he came from. How can we celebrate that he's here? Aren't you going to punish him for his past? And the father's like, no, put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. We're going to party. We're going to have a dance party. And we're going to go so hard in the paint that we're going to remove every question that is over that son's head that he doesn't no longer belong by celebrating the fact that he is now here. And that's what happens when we look with compassion versus eyes of judgment. Compassion leads to opportunity for transformation. Eyes of judgment lead to isolation and separation. And oftentimes the church has lived more like the older son in the story than the father. But we want to be a community. We want to be a house that look across the room and see with eyes of compassion because compassion leads to transformation. And this morning we want to take another step. And the title of my talk this morning is called Stop Tripping. Stop Tripping. Now, as you're going across the room, you're going to have a temptation to trip. When you're looking across the room, you got eyes of compassion. God's stirring your heart. You're going to leave here all pumped up. I'm about to go share Jesus. Amen. I'm going to go be an evangelist. I'm going to go expand the kingdom. I'm going to go shine my light. You get all fired up, and then you walk to do it, and you're like, wait. Never mind. That wasn't God. We trip. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man proves to be a snare. The fear of man proves to be a snare. You know, in 2005, my wife and I were getting ready to go plant the Antioch church that's in Seattle, Washington. It's called Mosaic, and it's an incredible church. It was a privilege uh, to be a part of seeing that thing take flight. We were there for six years, and it was a rich time to say the least. But before we went, we got to attend our very first USCON. Now, USCON is Antioch's conference for the U.S. pastors of the U.S. churches. And so if you're pastoring in Antioch in America, you get invited with your team 
to USCON, the U.S. conference. And so we were going. We were so excited. We had friends that we hadn't seen in a couple of years that were going to be there. And we were super fired up. And it's just a time. It's usually about three to four days of hanging out, enjoying time with each other, kind of talking about old times and worshiping, praying for one another and hearing some inspirational teaching that stirs our hearts to keep doing what we feel like God has called to do. And we often have a lot of fun in between. And so day two, night two, we get this idea that we need to play capture the flag. So we all get together, all the homies get together, and we're like, yeah, let's play capture the flag. Now, you got to know where we're at right now. We're in the middle of nowhere. We're in the woods, okay? We're not in open, there is no pastures. This is like trees, wooded. And you know there's two kinds of dark? There's like dark in your neighborhood, and then there's in the woods dark, which is like a whole different dark. It's almost, it's weird that we even call them the same things because they're not at all. Dark in the woods is you can't see your hand in front of your face. That's dark. Dark in your neighborhood is that all the street lights are on and they're the same color as the sun. And so it's just a little bit darker than day. But we're like in the woods and it's dark. But we had been in a field earlier that day, a wooded field, and we knew that in the middle of that field was a ditch. And we're like, this is what we're going to do. Okay, one team, you're going to go on that side. The other team, you're going to go on that side. Our boundary line is going to be the ditch. And what you have to do is get the flag from the other team's base across the ditch. So already you can tell we're all really smart people. That we're going to run around in the woods at night and jump over a ditch. So you're like, these dudes must lead churches, man. This is like brilliant stuff. And so we do it. No, I was given a job, right? I'm, I'm a worker bee. I can do that. Give me a job. Tell me where to do. Tell me what to be. You know what I mean? I'm going to be there for you. I got you. They said, Griff, you need to sit here behind this tree and watch the line. I'm like, I got it, man. Nobody is going to cross this line. I will take them out. This was full contact flag. Uh, this is full contact, man. We're not joking around. No touch here. No, I see you. You're out. Now, this is like bring them to the turf. And so I said, yes, sir. You got it, man. I got you. I'm with you. So I'm hiding behind this tree. I have a pretty good view of where the area of the ditch that I'm supposed to, to watch. And, you know, capture the flag at night is about two hours of total boredom mixed with 15 seconds of total exhilaration. You know what I'm talking about? Have you played capture the flag? It's a really not a fun game, honestly. But those last 15 seconds are absolutely amazing. And so I am sitting there bored to death. Like, this is lame. And then I see... I think something's moving over there. Oh, man, he's running. I'm in a perfect position, right? So I fast forward in my head, hero. I'm like, destiny has come. I'm here to save the day. So I start in a dead sprint parallel to the ditch with my eyes on the dude who has the flag. And he's running full blast. And I'm running full blast. And in my mind, this happens in a matter of seconds, I think, I'm going to jump over the ditch. And I'm going to tackle that guy. And so without even looking, full sprint, at night, in the woods, I leap, never looking at where I was jumping, only looking at the person I was getting ready to tackle. Focused. Body facing this way, head facing this way, and I leap. Bam! I was stopped by a boulder.
I'm reeling in pain. I mean, I am screaming. There, I, blood, someone thought literally that I was dying. That I, that I was about to end, that the, my life was coming to an end, man. I mean, it was like blood-curling scream. And it's dark. You really can't see. And I'm just laying in the ditch, just rolling around. Oh, my God! Ah! You know what I mean? Just like that total hysteria that happens when you're really, really hurt. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, there's like hurt, and then there's hurt, you know? And I, like, crossed that line, and I was Hurt. I'm thinking like, man, I shattered my kneecap. I can't, this is bad. This is not good. I'm checking my teeth. You know, I'm like, oh, man. And I'm just rolling around in the ditch, just rolling, you know, just like a wounded hog, just like flipping around. And my friends run up, and they have the flashlights, you know, and they're looking. And I finally get my first look at my knee. And it felt like it took them 12 hours to get there. It was probably about two minutes. And my knee was already the size of a cantaloupe. Humongous, man humongous. I have to be carried off. They're like, do we take him to the hospital? And I'm like, no, don't take me to the hospital, man. I'll be fine. I can't sleep. I got to be carried around. Two days later, I get on an airplane. Not a good idea when you have a swollen body part, okay? It's a lot of throbbing going on, right? So I'm dying. My, I'm in a wheelchair at the airport. I'm that guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, where you're like, is that guy really hurt? Is he milking something? You know, like, that was me. I was him. And, and it was not a fun situation. But I'm wondering if you've ever been running full blast and then felt like, bam, you got stopped. You can see where you want to go. You can see what you want to do. You were like, all I got to do is jump across this ditch and then shwat. That's what fear does to us, doesn't it? Fear shuts us down and shuts us off. Maybe you're new to Jesus. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years, but I think we all have had a moment when you're thinking, man, I would, I, I feel something telling me that I need to like, I don't even know what to do, but I'm supposed to do something for this person. I'm supposed to encourage them. I'm supposed to tell them that Jesus loves them. I'm supposed to do demonstrate generosity to them. I'm going to take a step out of my normal and into something new. And fear is like a boulder that you can't see on the other side of the ditch that you're trying to jump over. And as you make that leap, bam, it shuts you down. And even the thought of doing that again brings up terror in your mind and the idea of living to win some or to living to be the light of the world or bringing the hope of Jesus into your neighborhood, into your office, into your classroom. You're like, no, 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 that can't be for me because the one time I thought about it, bam! And I'm not trying to swell up again. I'm not trying to go through all of that again. And that is the fear of man. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. The fear of man will prove to shut us down, cut us off, eliminate our ability to do the things that we feel like God is calling us to do. But isn't it amazing that not all fears shut us down? Some fears we actually push through, right, and we overcome fear. And that honestly fascinates me. I love it. I actually love to do things that are scary. I don't like to watch scary because I think that's stupid. I don't like to go to scary things. I think that's dumb. But I like to do things that are scary, like jump off things and stuff like that. I like that. 
I like it because I like to feel what it feels like on the other side of the fear and realize I really didn't have anything to be scared of. I like that. I mean, you remember learning how to ride a bike? You remember that? Some of you don't know how to ride. Man, the conversations I would have with my children trying to get them to get on a bicycle, in their mind, I have created this mechanism of torture that is designed to ruin their life and cripple them for the rest of their life. And I'm convincing them to get on the equivalent of like the English rack where I'm going to rip their body from them limb to limb. That's like the level of fear that they had about getting on a bike. Now, I know you're going to love this. This is going to be really fun. It's way better than running. And they're like, no, Dad, no, no, it's not going to happen. You know, so we're on the grass, and we're, like, pushing on the grass. They're dropping their feet. You got, like, you, you end up tying a mattress around them. You know what I mean? Like, I promise you, you are not going to get hurt. And they're like, no, Dad, you're trying to kill me. I know. Mom told me. That this, you're trying to hurt me. No, I'm not. I promise you, you're going to love that. I remember driving back from the day that Sophie had bike breakthrough. You remember bike breakthrough in your life? That day where you're just like, I get it. It's actually not hard. This is awesome. This is fun. You know, and we just had that moment. We're high-fiving. We're in the car. We're driving back to the house. And, and Sophie looks at me. She's like, you know what, Dad? That wasn't that bad. And I was like, I know. I'm trying to tell you that it's not that bad, but your fear is lying to you. You know what? It never is that bad, is it? It's never as bad as we think it's going to be. On the other side of fear, we always look back and go, that wasn't that bad. But we don't overcome all fear, do we? We don't experience that every time fear comes up. And it's interesting to me because when you do overcome fear, you come to a realization that the what-ifs of the scenario are actually a lot smaller than you think. And you experience the exhilaration of overcoming fear and doing something that's really fun sometimes that maybe we were scared of for no reason. And you, you like intellectually go, that wasn't that bad. And so next time you feel fear, you would think that the human condition would remember that the last time I felt that fear, I came on the other side of it and it wasn't that bad. But that's not at all what happens, right? That's not at all what happens. Every time fear comes up, it's like a new fight. It's like a whole new war. Sometimes we have to fight the same war to do the same things that we've already done and realize that it didn't really, it wasn't really that bad. Have you ever been cliff jumping? You know, it takes you 15 minutes to wrestle up the courage to jump off the cliff. You drive, you're like, man, that was a blast. You climb back up to the top. You got to have the same 15-minute conversation with yourself. You had already done it. You know you're not going to die. You know you're not going to get hurt. You know nothing bad's going to happen. It's actually a ton of fun. And you look down and you go, uh-uh. And you had just experienced it 10 minutes ago. Why? Because every time we feel fear, it's a fresh fight. Every time we feel fear, it's a fresh fight. You know the difference between the fears that we overcome and the fears that we don't overcome are simple. I'll speak for myself here. The fears that I've overcome in my life are the fears that I've realized that the why of what I'm doing is more important than what I feel. The fears that I've literally driven through and have cut off and eliminated their ability to trip me or to snare me is that my why got bigger than the what if. The purpose of what I was doing became 
bigger than even the emotions I was feeling about doing it. So you find a strength to be able to overcome because the why is always stronger than the what ifs. And I think that we, we have a difficulty coming to a realization that God actually wants to use us because of the level of fear that we have inside of us. We think, man, the, 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 if God wants to use people that are not terrified, I'm terrified. I can't even, I don't even want to ask anybody their name. But to be the light in my office, to look across the room with compassion, to go engage somebody in a conversation, to go ask how I can pray for them. You're like, not for me. This is not what I do. This is not my calling. Right? Because the fear gets so big. I think that we actually don't have a fear problem. We actually have a why problem. The problem is our why. The problem is not our fear. The problem is our why. Why? Why does it matter? You ever been with somebody that just given their life to Jesus? Like they're just like fresh meat? I mean, you cannot be with them and not hear about what God has done for them. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you hang out with somebody who's just Jesus is changing their life. I mean, you cannot have a conversation with them without hearing about what Jesus has done for them. Because their why is big at that moment. Because, you see, why is not just something we encounter. Why is something we experience. Our why is driven by our experience. The reason why our what if at times gets bigger than our why is because our why is out of religious obligation. We think this is what I'm supposed to do. Look, fear is undefeated against obligation. Fear wins over obligation every single time. We were never created to be motivated by a religious system. We were created to be motivated by the experience of our why. That's our motivation, right? I mean, that's why when you hang out with somebody who've experienced Jesus for the first time and you're with them like two weeks into their journey with Jesus, their why is fresh in their mind. Their experience of what was how life used to be, what the reality was being an enemy of God versus being a son of God. They know what it feels like to be separated from God. They know what it feels like to be harassed by the enemy. They know what it feels like to feel hopeless. They know what it feels like to be, feel like that their world is worth nothing. They, know, they remember it because it was last week. And I think that we have forgotten the power of our salvation and therefore our why gets diluted. And so we have to live a life chasing the why. Not so that we can be tougher, so that we can be more tender. Because God does not want you to overcome fear with toughness. He wants you to overcome fear with tenderness. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. There's power in your tenderness as your mind is getting restored. Keeping the why in front of you is going to drive you past the fear that's overcoming you. And so these things, these what ifs, of like, what are they going to think about me? What, what, what are they going to say? What if they don't want to be my friend anymore? What if they change the way that I, they see me? What if they don't want to hang out with me anymore? What if they really know what I believe? What if they, what if the little, 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 little,
in light of a fresh why. You know, no one had a clearer why than Jesus. Nobody had a clearer why than Jesus. Matthew 9, if I can find it. Matthew 9, verse 35, says that Jesus went throughout all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus was going into the city. He was seeing the people. He was declaring the good news, and he was moved with compassion. He looked across the room. He had compassion. But what I want to zero in on is why was he compassionate? What was the why behind his compassion? Well, this text tells us it was because they were harassed and helpless and lost. They were harassed and helpless and lost. And Jesus has a very clear why that Paul defines for us so beautifully in 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 3. It says that God, our Savior, wants all. Everybody say all. God wants all, all Savior to be, wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that man is Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The motivation was that all people would come to know him. His why is that he didn't want anyone to die and go to hell. Jesus describes hell in Matthew 13 as being a place of burning, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This isn't a turn or burn message. This is a why message. We walk around people all the time, every single day. We pass by them that are going to die and go to hell apart from coming to a relationship with Jesus. And we have the gift. We have it. All we have to do is see them, be moved with compassion, and not get tripped when we're walking across the room. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We get to be those who declare to the hurting, to the weak, to the the ones that feel lost and harassed and helpless that there is another way, and his name is Jesus. You know how you overcome fear in your life? You don't get tougher, you get more tender. You want to know how you actually begin to follow through when God begins to stir you to be the light of the world in your workplace and to say, you know what, I know that Jeff is having a really tough time. So I'm going to go over to him and say, you know what, Jeff, you might think this is really crazy, but I have seen Jesus move on behalf of people when we pray. Can I pray for you? Because God wants to meet you where you are. You never know where that conversation is going to lead. You don't know what's going to happen when you pray for Jeff. You have no idea the trajectory of Jeff's life, but our why is the only thing that's going to motivate us past the what-ifs of our fear. It's that Jesus wants all men, all men to be saved. Not some, all. That means our city is full of people waiting to be seen with eyes of compassion, And waiting to hear 
the message of hope. They're waiting for us. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. We talk about living on purpose. We talk about living a life to forcibly advance the kingdom of heaven on earth. The fear of man is going to be a hurdle. The what-ifs are going to constantly plague our mission. But our victory is rediscovering our why. Our victory is remembering what Jesus has done for us. Our victory is living from a place of not just talking about why, but experiencing the why that is Jesus. I want to end with Romans 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 11 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved through God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled through him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in the God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's our why. We have been justified. We've been justified by faith. The debt of our sin, what we owe is no longer what we pay because Jesus paid it all. And so when we step into an environment where we feel like the Holy Spirit is stirring us to be the light of the world, you step into a situation where you see somebody is hurting and you're like, you know what, I think Jesus wants to go love on them, that we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that situation, that circumstance. We get to love on our waiter or waitress and tip them massively and tell them Jesus sees you. Fear will no longer be a snare. Because our why is bigger than the what ifs. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It's not about being tough, it's about being tender. And I think there's nothing in the world that can stop a tender church that's fearless. A fearless, tender church. Nothing can stop a community of people living on purpose for a purpose. Would you stand with me?